Sports and Alpha by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. So we had a show last week, and we mentioned that the Canadians were going to be on bye week, so there were no more Canadians games between last episode and this moment right now. We said we're not going to have um, to talk about besides the All-Star game, and uh, that's still true, but, uh, but I just want to read them. Um, right after the skills competition on Friday night, uh, I texted you something. I don't remember what it was. And you basically responded, just wasted three hours of my life. And to be honest, I kind of felt the same way. I feel like one of my favorite things about the skills competition year to year is let's see how the NHL manage, manages to embarrass themselves this year. Yeah. Uh, well, in terms of uh, NHL embarrassment, you there are certainly uh... – all sorts of stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, just over the course of the weekend, we can get into it. But uh, personally, that's basically the only entertainment value I got out of it. Uh, but it was only, you know, it just, uh, I really did waste three hours of my time, I felt, because uh, some pretty bad TV there, uh, if I may say so myself, because, uh, I don't know, just, what are your thoughts on all the, the, just let's start with the skills competition. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's kind of like, it's fun. with the skills competition, like, you kind of don't realize while it's going on, how terrible it is at least for me that's how i felt till it was over i looked back and like wow really nothing happened but it's just kind of it's like i don't know how to describe it i think I, that was kind of the the best i could do it so they had so the staples of the the skills competition that i think they've had forever fastest skater hardest shot accuracy shooting are kind of the ones that kind of always go basically how you would expect them to in terms of not in terms of like who wins or anything like that just in terms of there aren't really that many hiccups, except like the new the new accuracy shooting screen that we're going to talk about. Maybe we'll go through them in chronological order. And then they've got uh, the uh, the new event, the Dude Perfect thing we talked about, and uh, the, the save streak, which is just absolute torture. And uh, the highlight, almost everybody agreed, was the, uh, the women's three-on-three game, Canada and the USA. Actually, you know, intense hockey as opposed to the, uh, the next day, so... That's kind of my very fast overview of the whole thing. I think we can dive in a little bit more to, to the particular events if, if you have anything else to say over Yeah, no, I don't think uh, in terms of – I think you, you kind of hit it there uh, where – except I, I defer on the, on the part where you think you, you don't realize how bad it is until afterwards. Uh, I fully realized exactly how bad this whole fiasco was while I was watching <laughs> it. Uh, I couldn't bear to watch most of it. Uh, and, uh, honestly, uh, after probably halfway through, uh, my interest wavered and I kind of just left it on to the background because frankly, it's just, nothing's happening. Okay. So let's, let's get into these, uh, specific events. So, uh, right, so think, fast, yeah. fastest skater, fastest skater is a, that's always the first one that they do. And I'd say out of all the mainstays, that one's probably my favorite, just, you know, racing, see how fast they can go. It's a lot of fun to see. Connor McDavid had won each of the last three in a row, and he was the odds-on favorite to repeat. But he was upset by Matthew Barzal, which was actually it was actually pretty exciting. I, I found to it was a pretty good start for the event to see somebody somebody take the crown away from Connor McDavid, and he did not look very pleased about it. It wasn't like oh ha ha way to go, 
Way to go, Matt. He looked like actually upset. Something with, you know, he's got a big competitive drive, of course. But this is the kind of event that I would really want to see in the future it being open to players that weren't named to the All-Star game. Because, like, the names Canadians fans always throw around is Paul Byron, who I would say has some of the best straightaway speed in the league, some of the best I've ever seen. But it's unlikely he'll ever get named to the All-Star game. Same thing with Carl Haglin on the Capitals. He's, he's like, a, well, a lot of people have said he might be the fastest player in the NHL, maybe even as fast as McDavid and Barzell and whoever else. So if you would open it up to, like, because I think most teams, maybe every team, does an internal skills competition. If you send like the eight fastest times to this competition and have them race, I think that would be that would be way more fun than than doing this just having, I don't know, the coach or who captain whoever picks whoever wants to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think we've seen this concept uh, in different sports such as the NBA where they have their slam dunk competition. Uh, they just, you know, they 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 call in the guys who they think who who want to go uh, and who they think will be entertaining. Uh, and we see that work out a lot because, uh, you know, the NBA slam dunk competition, uh, always a mainstay in the news cycle. And I always see the highlights and all that. And it's very entertaining for everybody involved. Now, uh, relating to the whole, just, just the event as a whole. Uh, yeah, probably, probably the highlight of the night because, uh, pretty hard to screw up uh, fastest skater, right? You just, you go around, you go around and, uh, it's, it's a nice paced event. So, you're not you're not sitting there watching for 15 minutes. Somebody do something over and over. It's just one lap. Uh, everybody gets their turn in about 15 seconds, and uh, you know it's always it's always fun to see an upset. Uh, and as you mentioned, Connor didn't look too happy. And uh, Matt Barzal, holy crap, what a! I think he was what 300th of a second off of uh, Dylan Larkin's record. Uh, and so yeah. Uh, yeah, he was absolutely flying out there. Uh, and uh, yeah, always good. Uh, a- it's always good to see a good upset. Yeah. That's another thing I wanted to mention with Dylan Larkin. He was in the All-Star game in his rookie year. He broke the fastest skater record, and he hasn't been back to the All-Star game since. So, like, someone like that, too, even though it's obviously a possibility he'll get named to the All-Star game again in the future, I, I want to see him come back again, who's got, like, a really good shot of beating McDavid all the time, and Barzal now, too, who I guess is, some would say, as, as fast, uh, and maybe even break his own record. That's the kind of thing I want to see at the fastest skater. And another thing also, a few years ago, they used to do with this this event, they would have two skaters go at a time. I don't know if you remember, they would like split the arena in two, I mean the rink in two lengthwise and have them each go around one way and do two laps. But the reason I thought that was really entertaining because it was actually like a race visually, but they got rid of that because like, is a disadvantage for some players to have to turn one way instead of the other. But I think that was probably more fun to, to watch. So I wouldn't be so opposed if they bring it back. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, this whole thing is about entertainment value, right? And, and anything to make it more exciting. Uh, we see that kind of thing. And I think it's cycling, uh, indoor cycling. You see, uh, you know, even though they're, they're racing each other in terms of time, you have two going at each other. Uh, and, and, and while it's happening, the, the TV will like, you know, compare how fast they're going. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, there's always little tweaks that you can do. Uh, but as a whole, I'd call this event a success because, uh, as you said, it's a staple and uh, I wouldn't change much about it. It's, it's yeah, it's just, uh, it's just a fun event. Uh, anything you want to add or we can move to yeah. the second event of the night? Yeah, okay. I think it's, I think it's time to, uh, to move on to the event that they tried to hide in between two staples, fastest skater and accuracy shooting. Uh, the save streak, which was, I like to call the uh, worst 
five hours of my life. It was absolute. The, the best word I came up to describe this the save streak was torture. And I think this this came in two three years ago maybe to replace the breakaway challenge, which was basically everyone's favorite challenge. But they wanted to do it to involve goalies more and have a uh, an event that a goalie could win. But it's it's just it's just terrible. It's just terrible. Do you want to walk through any more specific things? No, uh, I think we can uh, move move past this event as fast as possible. As you mentioned, it feels like it's a million years. I swear to God, I don't know why they need to have all eight goalies participate uh, and every single shooter needs to shoot uh, for the division. I mean, just every single level of it is absolutely atrocious. Uh, there's no individualism uh, whatsoever. It's just, uh, you know, who can get hot? Uh, and the winner was Jordan Bennington, and he had a bunch of easy ones. Uh, so I don't know if I'd call that fair. And uh, the highlight of that was, uh, you know, Jakey Markstrom was marked up, uh, was mic'd up for the CBC uh, Sportsnet. And, uh, well, uh, well, I think it was Patrick Kane when he, Patrick Kane scored on him. He said, oh, fuck off. And, uh, yeah, that, that wasn't <laughs> censored. So that, that, that's probably the highlight of that event. And I think that's all we need to know, uh, all we need to say about, uh, yeah, just the total disaster. And well, it really doesn't compare to the breakaway challenge that they scrapped. Well, you, you call it a disaster, but on the other hand, there's really this was exactly what you could have expect from the outline of the. There's no way that it could have possibly been a success. It was just a bad idea to begin with. Well, then it's still and, a disaster. And I have to, no, because yeah, uh, I have well, to, the whole design thing was a disaster too. Yes. Okay. But I want to give props to Thomas Hurdle for trying to treat it kind of like the breakaway challenge a little bit. He put on that Justin Bieber mask, and you know, kind of had trouble seeing through the eye holes. That that was I, I would call that a, possibly the only highlight of the um, of that event and yeah, Jordan true. Bennington, yeah Jordan yeah. Bennington won with the I don't know if you remember this, uh the he won with a streak of ten, and he had tie, someone else had nine I don't remember who one of the other goalies Vasilevsky Frederick and Vasilevsky had a streak of nine, and uh, I think Dreisaitl was the last shooter on Bennington, and he basically had a he. Deked out Bennington, had a wide open net on the backhand and totally blew it and hit the post. And that was how Bennington won. So, uh, yeah, that's that's that on that event. Uh, I hope they get rid of it for next year. And if not next year, then as soon as possible. Yeah, just uh, as you, I'm not going to lie, that Bieber mask was kind of terrifying. Uh, just going just gonna <laughs> to put that out there. Uh, but uh, yeah. Material. yeah, absolutely. And uh, just that Bennington moment. Yeah, sure. One moment of excitement, but uh hockey wise but it sure didn't compensate for the seven other goalies or the six other goalies uh that went before that you know bored my eyes out okay so let's move on uh so uh the next one was uh i think it was the accuracy competition if i'm not mistaken yeah that was that was the next one so they had this new uh if you want to describe it whatever the technology was well, okay, sure. Fancy, fancy, fancy over here at NHL trying to incorporate some technology. <laughs> uh, instead of a net Ooh. and your, your your phone targets that they've had literally forever, uh, they instead, you know, they tried to, I don't know, fancy it up and they put a piece of plexiglass and supposedly there were some sensors uh, that were supposed to detect when the puck hit. And, uh, you know, they had individualized targets, like you had your nickname, your number, uh, your team, your number all-star, this like your first all-star game or whatever it was. Uh, and so, you know, I uh, maybe uh, it, like, first of all, the ceiling for this tweak wasn't high at all. Uh, and the floor was very low and they managed to hit that floor. 
uh, quite easily because, frankly, it was a disaster. Because uh, it's really hard to screw up something like an accuracy challenge. Uh, and the NHL managed to do it by because it uh, uh, turns out for a couple of the shooters, the, the screen uh, malfunctioned. And so uh, I don't remember who. I think it was Huberto. Uh, he shot one. It clearly yeah. missed the target, uh, his last target, and it went down. And I think it was Petrangelo. Uh, there was one where he hit it dead on, and it just didn't go down. And so, uh, yeah, just a, just a very weird tweak uh, by the NHL. You got to wonder, did someone actually test this uh, whole procedure? Uh, and uh, another thing I, I saw mentioned on Twitter, uh, another problem with this whole setup was that uh, if you were behind the net or, or the piece of plexiglass, you literally couldn't see the targets. Uh, it was just, you you just saw a white box. Uh, and so that sucks for the oh, fans. in where, arena? Yeah, in arena. Uh, for those fans, oh. uh, like if you're trying to maximize uh, the in arena experience, that doesn't help if you're shutting out a quarter of your fans uh, from being able to see the actual event. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, really a uh, pretty big failure on behalf of the AHL. Anything you want to add? Uh, well, you're right about everything. I actually, when they introduced it, like the first shoot, I was like, oh, this actually is a good idea. And then the way they like kind of kitching and then shattered away, I kind of, I kind of liked it. Uh, obviously, the fact that they don't work is a you know a big problem but now after i found out that like a bunch of the fans in the arena actually couldn't see what was going on i am now uh, i'm now against this i hope they bring back the exploding targets hope they acknowledge that uh that this little experiment technology experiment for accuracy accuracy shooting was a uh, a failure and um another thing i want to bring out about this event they used to do it like i think even before we were born instead of having a timer they would do however many shots it took you to knock down all the targets. So it would be like Ray Bork, who won the competition like I don't know, like 10 years in a row. It would be like, oh, he got all five targets down in six shots or eight shots or something like that, not in not 10 seconds or whatever it was. And I, I think that kind of, I kind of wouldn't mind if they go back to that format either because it kind of, it makes more sense. How many tries does it take you instead of rushing to grab a puck out of the big pile of pucks and shoot it as fast as you can? Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. That, that that's that's an idea they could go back to. Uh, you're, 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 it's interesting that you mentioned that big pile of pucks. We see that you know there's a strategy when it comes to uh, you know separating your pucks to make sure you have ease of access. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, sure. Uh, for me personally, it doesn't move the needle that much. It's just uh, please, for the love of God, get rid of that awful experiment this year. Uh, you know that that's uh, that's about it. And uh, hopefully nobody gets a job because you know what? Those exploding targets, they're kind of fun too. You got that satisfying sound, uh, that, that thwack yeah. as it hits it. And uh, yeah, just, just bring it back. And uh, you know, if it make a shot counter, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> uh, so props to Jacob Slavin for, uh, as most would have called him the underdog, winning that event uh, a la Ray Borg. But I don't know if you remember, Thomas, Thomas Hurdle came so close to I don't know what the record is for this event, but I'm pretty sure he would have broke it. He got bang, 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 all the first four targets in a row. And I think he was they got, he got like them all in four or five seconds, and he was close to getting the last one, but then he just missed it like I don't know ten times in a row. That would have been so cool if he could have finished that one off. It would have been an iconic, legendary moment for for the uh, the skills competition. Yeah, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, the record uh, for the event was. Uh... I think it was one of the Sedin brothers. I think it might have been Daniel. Uh, and he rattled, oh, yeah, I, think, I think so. five and six. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I think Hurdle was well on his way to breaking that record uh, until he choked. Uh, and I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, I think Hurdle had himself a very entertaining uh, all-star skills competition. And uh, we can give him the MVP there. And we'll talk about it later. He had, he had himself a very good all-star game. So, uh, you oh, know, yeah. good, 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 for, good for him. Uh, and uh, I give my uh, all-star MVP to Thomas Hurdle this weekend. All right, nice. Uh, so after that, they uh, did the women's three-on-three, uh, the three-on-three game. I think it was it was twenty minutes long, right? They had two ten-minute periods. Uh, Team Canada won two to one, and the uh, pretty much unanimous response to this was uh, it was fantastic, extremely entertaining, the highlight of the night, and they should do it uh, again more often. I remember Rebecca Johnston. Scored the first goal for Canada, then Hillary Knight got one for the U.S. Unless it was two nothing before that. Uh, I don't have the the game sheet uh, in front of me, but uh, yeah, if you have any specific thoughts about that game, yeah, uh, I mean it was fun. Uh, they were clearly trying out there, and uh, yeah, ent- entertainment value wise, it definitely delivered. Although uh, I don't know, I I I, I kind of question the order. Like they just put it smack dab in the middle. Uh, I don't know. I feel like that kind of thing you should put at the end of the night. Uh, but that's just me. That's just a minor detail. Uh, but, uh, yeah, overall, uh, I mean, Canada, USA, uh, great rivalry. What more do you want? And they were clearly, you know, they're, they're clearly tried out there, uh, which, you know, you can't be said a hundred percent for the actual NHL all-stars. So, uh, yeah. What do you think? I'm pretty sure putting, I'm pretty sure putting this event last would have been the worst thing you could possibly do. That's kind of, because it would kind of make it put the, uh, make it like, all right, now the skills competition is over time to. Time to do the women. It would make it seem like an afterthought instead of actually part of the event. I think, yeah, I kind of think the same if they had put it first, like it was kind of the opening act. They're putting it in the middle, anywhere in the middle, makes it feel like, yeah, this is this is part of the event. This is part of the, the big showcase. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it just feels like it's just a bunch of skill competitions uh, and then kind of a, a game in the middle. You know what I mean? Like it just, the the, the it kind of interrupted the flow of the challenges, I felt. Uh, in terms of timing, like it was just like 10 minute challenges and then you have like a, a 20 minute game in the room. But this is all minor details. Uh, still a fantastic, uh, a great event. Uh, it's always great to showcase uh, the women's game. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, not, not, much I wanna, not much else I want to say. I mean, if I'm picking at the order of the event, then, you know, they, there's not much wrong with it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think before it happened or after, the, the women's game, uh, Cassie Campbell-Pascal on, on Sportsnet uh, t- talked a lot about, uh, about the women's game and, and how, how starting a league, it's not, uh, I want to I do it justice, but honestly, I kind of lost my train of thought. I can't really remember what, she's talk- what she talked about. But basically, they're hoping they can get a league possibly even by this fall, and if not this fall, by next fall, uh, something more stable than the NWHL possibly in association with the NHL. I think that's probably most likely where where it's going and it's uh I think it's going to be great when it when it finally arrives. I'm really looking forward to it and I hope it happens yeah. sooner rather than later. I think it's a matter of time uh before the mm-hmm. NHL jumps into the women's game and you know hopefully supports the league. Uh it's just a matter of when. I I, I personally don't think uh the, knowing the NHL I don't think they can get it together for this fall. Uh you know, just they're an organizational mess. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be uh, going into 2021. Uh, 21, 21, we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see a, a, well, a WNHL or, so, or something to like because uh, I think the top players 
aren't playing in the NWHL, uh, right? So it's just yeah, a lot of them aren't playing at all. Okay, yeah. So that that totally sucks. Uh, and so yeah, you 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 just uh, I think we'd all love to see uh, just the NHL come in, swoop in, and uh, you know give these give these players a platform to play. I wonder how that that would work if they like start a our new league with I don't know how many teams, ten, twelve, whatever. Would they do? Would they hold like a lottery to see what players go to which teams? Like the whatever this team, the I don't know, Boston, Buffalo, whatever. Guess the first pick takes Hillary. Would they tele televise that? Like the the uh, the women's inaugural draft or something? That'd be tons of fun. Yeah, uh, sure. I don't know. There's there's a whole way, whole number of ways that they could do it, but that's probably the most obvious one. And uh, yeah, in terms of entertainment value, uh, you know. You can you uh, definitely an inaugural draft would be uh, lots of fun. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that wraps it up on the women's game. Uh, you know, fantastic event. Uh, yep. You want to move on to the next? Hardest shot. Yeah. All right. Shaver right. won again. Yeah. Uh, this shocker, was his first shocker. time. Yeah, he won, and it wasn't even very close at all. This was his first time back at the All Star Game in twenty seven uh, since twenty seventeen. So there were actually two years off where Shea Weber wasn't there. I don't remember who won in those years. Maybe Ovechkin won one of them. I don't remember. And uh, But basically, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Uh, Shea Weber should be in the hardest shot competition every year until he retires because he has always had one of the hardest shots in the NHL. And same thing with Zdeno Chara. As soon as he kind of wasn't all-star caliber anymore, he still should have been in the hardest shot. Maybe he would have even broken his own record. And... I'm sure he probably still has one of the top shots in the NHL. Honestly, him in this competition every year too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's just when you don't have guys like uh, Weber and Chara in the competition, it, it kind of uh, takes away a bit of the legitimacy of the whole thing, you know, because uh, I think uh, you got to think who who's missing here, and uh, they, you got to think they probably have a harder shot, right? So, uh, but uh, Shea Weber was back this mm-hmm. year. Uh, you know, one hundred six point five, I believe it was top score. And, uh, yeah, attaboy, attaboy, Shay. And, uh, yeah, you can absolutely thwack it. Uh, I want to bring up a little, I don't know, some kind of a gimmick that they had before, right before the competition started. Uh, uh-huh, they had yeah. one of their uh, their Blues alumni. I don't remember his name. Uh, but he, Al McKinnis. Oh, right, Al McKinnis, of course. And, uh, yeah, he came in uh, and he tried to do the challenge. Uh, you know, he slapped one with a wooden stick and uh, – you know, uh, I don't know what the NHL was thinking there. Not gonna lie, but uh, they put up a score <laughs> of uh, what was a hundred point four miles per hour, uh, and they did a whole yeah. thing where you know, if you if your player beats that, they'll do it for every shot that they beat. You know, five thousand dollars to a charity of their choice. Uh, nice gesture, but uh, I, I I don't know if anybody thinks that he actually hit a hundred point four. And uh, I don't know. I just felt like the NHL. I couldn't tell, but it seems to me that they were legitimately trying to fool. Uh, the fans into thinking that this guy actually got 100.4 uh, when when he clearly didn't. And, uh, you know, just uh, an interesting move on, on behalf of the NHL having, uh, you know, putting a number like that. What do you think? Yeah, okay. So so uh, some people might have missed this. 100.4 was actually his record at the skills competition back in the, back in the day. And he was by far had the, the hardest shot. He was the, the Chara Weber of his day. He dominated hardest shot whenever he was there, but uh, obvious. So now, um, I am still holding out hope that the NHL was joking, and they thought everybody was going to realize they were joking. 
that that shot was maybe around 80 miles per hour, definitely not higher than that. Um, but I, you, you think that they were actually trying to trick us into thinking Al McKinnis hit 100.4? Uh, I don't think so. I think they were trying to joke and they just kind of messed up because there were some people who actually were who actually believed, wow, can't believe he still managed 100.4 with a wooden stick too. And he like beat Seth Jones who maybe didn't even crack 100. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, I kind of, yeah. So I really hope that they were trying to make it obvious they were joking, but just kind of mixed up. Because honestly, if they really think they were gonna be able to trick everybody into thinking Al McKinnon said one hundred point one hundred point four, that's kind of that's pretty insulting to the fans, I would say. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is a, a classic NHL bit right now. I think we're seeing uh, where uh, you have no idea what's happening, and it's either a very poorly executed stunt or uh, the worst executed joke. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, I, I don't yeah. know what to think. Uh, I'm inclined to think, because they didn't specify, uh, they just didn't specify. They just they just continued on uh, as if he actually got 100.4. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, yeah. I've seen Twitter, people on Twitter just, you know, mentioning, oh, wow, uh, 100.4. And also people who legitimately think those people, uh, you know, who believe that there are idiots who think that are, they're 100 before. They're like, oh, you guys are so dumb. Uh, you really think that uh, he actually hit 100 before. You know, I'm just like, uh, I just felt like, you know, everybody needed to relax and the NHL certain, certainly didn't help uh, with their very confusing uh, thing there. I, I just, I, I don't know what to say. It's just very confusing. Uh, and uh, peak NHL, peak NHL. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Uh, and uh, also props to Elias Pedersen, who kind of amongst... Uh, six foot three defenseman. He uh he actually he finished around the middle of the pack. I think he finished what third fourth place. Uh, I think his time was one hundred two point four. The little little toothpick. Everyone was pretty impressed. I didn't obviously I knew he's a an all star, but I didn't know he could actually shoot that hard. Now that I think of it, though, I was definitely seeing it in highlights. So uh, everyone was kind of freaking out about that a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. I have no idea this guy could actually absolutely slap it. Uh, 102.4, as you mentioned, this guy's tiny, uh, especially compared to, like, they just had, like, what? Other, everybody else was a, like, was a defenseman, right? And, and they're all huge compared to him. And so, uh, yeah, just uh, Elias Patterson, good for him. And, uh, yeah, certainly didn't expect it. And, uh, yeah, he can absolutely rip it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, the last competition of the evening, unless you have anything else to say about the hardest shot, was uh, they called it Shooting Stars. Which uh, I thought uh, they think they're very clever with uh, that little play on words because they're all stars and they're shooting, but also shooting stars. Uh, don't you see? Don't you see? Like the ones that go through the sky. So funny. Yes. So funny. The, the puck is the shooting and, star in this scenario. Yes. So the NHL or the broadcaster, whoever it is, did a uh, very bad job of explaining this event to us before. Actually, they didn't really explain it to us beforehand at all. We were going into the day, we kind of thought, oh, maybe there'll be shooting at an actual net on the other side of the the arena, something like that. Basically, they have these, like, big, like, almost basketball net targets. Or actually, you know, just one big target, the big 10-pointer that everyone was shooting at, hanging from the ceiling, then a bunch of other smaller targets hanging out around the, the uh, around it, and a number four, and a, like a four-point target in the net on the other side that nobody even noticed until, what was it, Pasternak hit it on the other side. So you kind of... You had a more insightful thing to say about the uh, where the points were placed on the the rink than I did. If you want to dive into that first, 
Yeah, sure. Uh, extremely questionable uh, placement of the actual points by the NHL. So let's get into it. In terms of strategy, it just seems that the players, all right, they shot for one target. And that one target was the biggest one. It was prominently featured in the middle uh, of the ice. So it was, you know, the most pro, and they made it worth the most points. They made it worth 10 points. And uh, it just seemed like it just like every single player just. All their shots were, were trying to get it into that 10-point hole. Uh, and, and it made a lot of sense because, you know, it was by far the biggest one. And uh, it just it just seemed, why did they even have multiple targets if everybody's just going to shoot at the one thing in the middle? Uh, so, uh, like, for example, they had those two points in the back. But the only people who got it in the back were because they missed the 10 points in the front. And, and so, and they got lucky. And so... Uh, yeah, very questionable. Uh, you might as well have just taken out all the other things. Uh, and, and, you know, I personally would have just stuck with the net. I actually saw on Twitter uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins had something uh, last year from their skills competition. Uh, there was a video of, you know, it was, it was basically the same thing. It was, sh- it, was like, it was the same event. And there was uh, Gino and, and Sid shooting. And they were shooting at a net. And, frankly, it was actually pretty entertaining, the video was. Uh, because, you know, there, there was a bigger net. And then that was worth one point. And then they moved on to an actual regulation size net. And it was two points. And, you know, like, and, uh, you know, they just barely miss. And it's not in the air. I don't know why the targets are in the air. It's just, it seems very <laughs> bizarre to me. Okay. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. What, what, what do you think? Now, even worse than all those things uh, I found were the actual construction of the targets. Because at least half the time where you thought somebody just scored 10 points, they didn't because it went in through the through the top of the target instead of through the middle, which kind of kind of hard to explain without any visuals. I think if you watched it, you probably know what I'm talking about. There was a big opening over the top of the target that a ton of pucks passed through. Pucks could easily pass through it, and it, the net would move because the puck would land in there, and it looked like they just got ten points, but uh, they didn't. And I think Mitch Marner at least twice thought he just scored ten points but didn't because it passed through the top of the net, which was basically, it was impossible to see from where the players were standing. I assume it was also impossible to see from everywhere else in the arena. So I don't know why they had to make that the, uh, the target so like, you know, deep at that, at that dimension. But that was one of the, the big problems with this event too. But I'm going to hold out hope. If they can fix a couple of these things, maybe fix the targets or maybe just have them shoot at a net. I think there's a uh, good potential for, for this event in the future. I'm still holding out hope because not only uh, not only all the problems that they had with it that could be fixed pretty easily, I feel like in arena to see an event like that live with uh, the players in their in their sh- running shoes up uh, up in the stands, that'd be I feel like that'd be super cool to see them shoot a puck across the entire arena live and in person. Yeah, I mean, this event has potential. It's just you'd like to see the NHL, you know, maybe give it a test run before they actually roll it out on national TV. Uh, It's just these little weird details that make the competition, you know, just really fail to meet its potential. Uh, Whether it's, you know, the design uh, of the nets or just the point placement as a whole. It's just very, very weird how they, uh, it just seems that they had an idea, they built it, and they just never tested it until the night of when they're actually in the middle of the thing. Uh, another thing I would fix, uh, I had no idea, like, if it wasn't a 10-point because that had a big net and that net moved uh, whenever the puck hit it, there was no way of knowing if somebody hit a target other than the 10 points. 
it just seemed like, you know, whenever they managed to hit the two, it seemed like a very arbitrary two points and that two points would come up on the scoreboard. And I was like, oh, they hit the target. I couldn't even tell. Uh, and so you'd love to see some sort of uh, indicator that they hit either like, you know, something lights up or, you know, there's a little smoke show. I don't know. But it just seemed that like, oh, he hit two points. Huh. Sure. If you say so. Uh, I sure as heck didn't see it. Uh, and so, yeah, that's just another little detail. Uh, and it's just uh, one of many details uh, in this whole all-star skills competition as a whole, as we kind of wrap this whole segment up on the skills competition, you'd just like to see maybe the NHL test it out. Because, frankly, so many little errors, mistakes, weird design flaws, where it's just like, yeah, where, where, what happened here? Uh, how, did this, how could this possibly uh, get, get through the cracks? I feel like uh, that technology plexiglassing they use for accuracy shooting, which shatters if you hit it, would have been way put to much better use in this competition along those those four point two point barriers along the ice. Because as you said, when you hit it, you couldn't even tell if they hit it if it was too low or just went off the side or something. If it had that that screen there and they actually worked properly, then I would have liked it much better than. Uh, in an accuracy shooting where almost everyone would prefer the exploding targets. Yeah, wow. They sh- the NHL should hire you because that's just it. That's a fantastic solution to this to this Thank very, you. very unnecess- unnecessary problem. Uh, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I didn't even think of that. Putting the plexiglass in there would 100% fix it. But, uh, you know, they just couldn't get the work either. So that's a problem too. Uh, so that I think that wraps it up for our skills talk competition. Anything else you want to you wanna mention before we wrap it up on this bit? Uh, no, I think that's it. I think that's it. So we can move on to the, the actual games now, which were last night. And I've got to say, I probably, I was very tired last night. I probably would have gone to bed before the final game, if not for uh, one one main thing, one main reason why I was watching it. And you don't know what this reason is, because I haven't told you yet. But uh, Dom Lecision, with The Athletic, starting in 2018, uh, used some sort of analytical model that obviously I don't really understand fully, evaluating how the players on each team do in three-on-three and predicting the outcomes of the tournaments. In 2018, he got all three games correct. In 2019, he got all three games correct. So he had a 6-0 and record coming into this year. And the main reason why I was so invested in this all-star in these all-star games was because I wanted uh, Dom Lecision's streak to stay alive. And he predicted Atlantic over Metropolitan, Pacific over Central, and then Pacific over Atlantic. So he nailed it yet again. He is now 9-0 in predicting the outcomes of All-Star Games. So uh, hats off to Dom Lecision. Very, very impressive. And uh, the main reason why I watched the All-Star Game at all. Wow. Uh, I had never heard of this actual streak uh, until you brought it up just now. And uh, yeah, what the heck? Uh, this guy's picked nine in a row. Definitely no fluke. And so, uh, yeah. So he uses what regular season data and overtime data to to predict what happens in the All Star game. Yeah, basically, I think I if I, I don't want to get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure he mostly uses overtime three on three data to see how the how the players do in uh, in overtime because that's what they're playing. They're playing three on three, and he uh, he managed to to get it right nine times in a row. Okay, that's actually uh, pretty fascinating there. And, uh, you know, to all those people, you know, who dismiss uh, analytics, uh, however trivial this little bit of analytics may seem, uh, it's nine for nine. Uh, So I don't know what else to say. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. I, I yeah. I mean, I personally didn't even watch the All Star game, uh, and uh, I, I watched the highlight pack this morning. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Just this whole thing seemed kind of uh, unremarkable. Obviously, you have your little highlights, uh, and I mentioned Thomas Hurdle with four goals uh, earlier. Uh, but I don't know. Without it, just seemed that there was a lack of a narrative uh, w- w- when you don't have someone like you know John Scott out there. You don't have a kind of narrative. It just seemed like you know. It just feels random. Well, what did you think when you were watching it? Uh, I, honestly, I think in terms of the level of play, it got better as it went on, as they got closer to the end. The first couple minutes of the Atlantic Metropolitan was, I would say, maximum, maybe 20% effort from these players. It was They were moving so slowly that uh, they weren't even trying at all. The Atlantic got, I think, two goals in the first 30 seconds. It was like they weren't even trying. It was like, oh, God, if it's going to be like this the whole time. But it wasn't really like that the whole time. The uh, Pacific Central game was uh, a little bit more involved. It was also it was pretty fun to see, they mentioned on the broadcast a couple of times, how well the uh, the Western Canadian team players played together. I think almost all the time, McDavid and Dreisaitl were on the ice with Mark Giordano. And they uh, they definitely got some stuff going. And then they had like a, one of my favorite moments was uh, Leon Dreisaitl assisted on a Matthew Kachuk goal. Or maybe it was the other way around. I don't remember. And uh, so basically, obviously, you know, there was a bit of a uh, bit of beef between them. Leon Dreisaitl basically said, "If I'm on the ice with him, I'm gonna leave the ice." But then he assisted on his goal, and uh, on, on the way to the bench, you could see him. He mouthed to Matthew Kachuk, "Fuck you!" <laughs> and so a lot of people found that uh, found that pretty funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was actually. So... Uh, yeah, I think it was Dreisaitl who scored that goal. Uh, and uh, on the on was the Kachuk topic to of yeah. Kachuk to Drysdale, which makes it even funnier because, you know, Kachuk got him a goal. Uh, but uh, <laughs> on, on the topic of uh, F-bombs, I just want a, a little tangent here. Uh, I think it was uh, they had an intermission show there. Uh, and oh, uh, yeah. they had uh, Green Day. In, in, in Green Day, the NHL is, uh, you know, the, 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 most, the, the, the top caliber musical talent that they could get uh, for the evening, Green Day. Uh, and uh, very interesting performance, if I may say so myself. I'm sure Gary Bettman wasn't oh, yeah. pleased. Uh, because uh, you know the well, what's his name Billy Joe or something like that. Uh, the lead yeah, singer, yeah, he, he dropped a bunch of f bombs uh, to the crowd, uh, totally uncensored on Canadian television. Like, they did censor it on the the American networks, but uh, if you were in Canada, you got a healthy dose of the f bomb uh, from Billy Joe. So uh, that seemed to have been a, a consistent theme throughout the throughout the event this weekend, uh, whether it be Markstrom or Drysaddle. Or uh, or Billy Joe finally, and uh, yeah, I just thought yeah. that was pretty funny. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, you you mentioned like uh, oh Green Day, not such a high high caliber act, but I've got to say this is probably the most recognizable name that the NHL has brought in for any of their events in a lot. Maybe since they had like Nickelback at the awards show, like, I can't really think of anything. So like people know who who Green Day is. Uh, they were most popular in like the '90s and early 2000s developed a very very wide fan base but almost everyone would agree that their music has declined heavily since about 2004 so uh, but they still get a uh, draw big big crowds at shows and i think i saw i've never been to see them live in concert but basically the lead singer i think i saw every show goes on some long rant at any random point about how much he hates donald trump 
And some people were expecting him to do that again at the All-Star game after seeing that they weren't holding back in any other way. So uh, I, the NHL might be thankful they didn't take it that far. I don't know. But, um, yeah, for the most part, I thought, I thought it was funny. And then after the first one, after the first F-bomb, Elliot Friedman tweeted, good thing nobody heard that. And uh, <laughs> it was kind of – yeah, it was kind of – it was all it was all over after that. And, uh, honestly, props to Sportsnet and CBC for not trying to hide it. Just, hey, whatever. It's just, it's just whatever, just a word. And uh, I, they didn't even really, like, apologize for it or mention it afterwards. Whereas I think if that had happened at, on NBC, if they hadn't managed to censor it, they probably would have had, you know, tons of backlash, tons of, you know, apologies. I don't. Did the NHL issue an apology? I think uh, I saw I someone said they might have. They're going to, but I didn't see one. Yeah, I don't recall anything. Uh, but uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not expecting one either. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. Not. I don't think they need to. I, 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 I kind of not gonna lie. I love this kind of television bloopers, especially when it's like you know live TV. Uh, a little, a little f bomb and. Uh, Oh, who, who's, you know, who's worse off? It's just a little laugh. And uh, in relation to Green Day, uh, I don't know. It's just a weird demographic paradox the NHL has got going. They say the NHL weekend, you know, targeted towards kids. You see a lot of these events. Uh, and then you got you get a band where uh, I'm, I'm willing to bet that most kids uh, would not be able to uh, recognize Green Day in the slightest. Uh, that, that's just uh, a little thing. And, uh, yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. I don't know why the NHL can't figure it out. Uh, like, remember Vegas... Uh, when they had their Stanley Cup uh, final run, uh, they had Imagine Dragons come in, and uh, I, I, I think they're exponentially more popular oh, yes, nowadays. Of course, in the atmosphere. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I guess the NHL is having a hard time booking uh, big name artists. I mean, Green Day, yeah, sure, they had their nice little run, but it's been a long time since they've been on the, you know, they've had a hit on the charts, so to speak. And so, uh, yeah. Interesting, interesting, and I personally kind of find it funny where they have these, uh, you know, these bygone artists or these B-list artists uh, come onto this national TV, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a funny thing. Uh, well, the, the difference with the Golden Knights is that it's probably much easier to get a, uh, a popular band to come to play in Las Vegas at a in a playoff game uh, than it is to get them to come to St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, in, in the middle of the winter to, to play one song and leave. So uh, honestly, props to Green Day for trying to make it more interesting for themselves. And uh, if the NHL is upset with how that went down, they have nobody to blame except for themselves for not checking with Green Day. I mean, if they had agreed no swearing with Green Day beforehand and Green Day violated that, then that's a different story. But uh, there's no reason to believe that. So uh, the NHL is the, are the ones who should be embarrassed here. Uh, so I think that, uh, that's just about, that's just about it on, uh, Green Day and the Imagine Dragons and whatnot. Yeah. On that location note, you mentioned, uh, they, they actually announced next year's All-Star game was going to be in Florida. And, uh, yes. you know, I, I think that's a great pick. Uh, I talked about it, how, uh, you know, you really want to make it fun for the players. Uh, I see a lot of Pro Bowl content because it's, it was, it's, it is this weekend. It's actually today. Uh, funny enough, the Pro Bowl is, and, uh, I see a lot of coverage and the players are really having fun out there. They love the time with their families where I think the NFL has a thing where they like they have like a, a Disneyland day or a Disney World day where like, you know, the players and their families go to Disneyland or Disney World. I don't know which one it is in Florida or uh, Orlando. But uh, but yeah, it's just it, it, they they make it fun for the players and, and not just on the ice, but also off the ice uh, in terms of, you know, weather and, and stuff like that in terms of attractions. Uh, and it's, it's a, you got you got to take into account those players families. And so move, picking Florida. 
Uh, I think they're kind of taking a page out of the NFL's playbook. Uh, and I think it's absolutely the right decision because, uh, you know, I think that last year it was in Winnipeg. Uh, this year it's in St. Louis uh, in the dead of winter, you know, January. It was in Winnipeg. Uh, sorry? It was in Winnipeg last year? It was in Winnipeg last year? I, it, sure? I, I thought it was. I thought it was in like San Jose Winnipeg. or something. Maybe it was. Uh, might have been. Anyways, I, I feel like it's been in Winnipeg okay, whatever, one of the whatever. last matter uh the point is uh the st louis this year uh nothing against st louis the city it's just you know come on it's in missouri uh it's cold as balls out here uh and so uh yeah just uh good pick uh, whoop and uh, i just wanted to shout them out for you know finally making a smart decision it seems uh and also you gotta you know boost that florida market uh that fan base because they are a pretty small market uh and so uh yeah yeah i think that wraps it up for uh, all-star talk Anything else you want to add before we well, wrap I it think, up here? Well, I wanted to say, I feel like a few weeks ago, or a few episodes ago, I said something about how the All-Star game would probably be best suited to like some sort of rotation between you know Florida, the California cities, Las Vegas, Dallas, whatever else, you know, fun places to be. But I kind of I want to walk it back a little bit because really the main thing with the All-Star game is to put on a show for whatever city you're in. So if you never get to go to places like St. Louis or Winnipeg or whatever, Minnesota, I don't know, then it's kind of, it kind of does a disservice to those fans because even if you are getting players like Ovechkin who don't want to go, it's, it's still kind of, I feel like that's a price you might have to pay to spread the wealth around a little bit for something like the all-star game, because yeah, you want the players to have a good time, but I feel like having the local fans have a good time is probably more important. I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, it depends who the NHL is targeting. Are they targeting, you know, the, the television market more or the local fan base? I'm not too sure. I think I, it might be split because because they, it is, I don't know, they do they do make a big emphasis on, you know, making it fun for the TV. And if you want to make it fun for the TV, you got to show uh, that the players are having fun, no? Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, if you want to make it fun for, for TV, you got to have some pretty drastic changes to the whole thing. So I'm not holding my breath for that. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty valid point. Uh, okay, right. you want to... All right, so, that's, that's, that's a lot of all-star talk. You want to... Yeah? Oh, yeah. Anything else right, you want to so, add? Uh, no, I think that's uh, yeah, 45 minutes on the all-star game will definitely hold me until next year. So Okay. Uh, now, uh, so Gary Bettman had a, uh, an interview with Ron McLean, but I think uh, what we're going to talk about came out before the interview. He said, uh, I think the quote was that the NHL is totally comfortable not going to the Olympics in 2022. Uh, almost every almost every fan wants to see the NHL back at the Olympics. I had a great time watching them in Sochi in 2014. And it was so exciting. I didn't really watch Vancouver 2010. I wasn't so into it then, to be totally honest. But I'm totally aware of, how, uh, of that classic gold medal game. And I think that the Olympics, honestly, uh, this pro- might be an unpopular opinion on my part. I wouldn't care much if they did the olympics or if they did a world cup like they did in 2016 i just want to see best on best and i don't really care if it's in the middle of february at the olympics or if it's in september before the season starts yeah sure but my problem is uh the fact that the nhl just can't get a world cup together Uh, i think they announced that they're canceling the next one uh and so yeah, I mean, like personally, I, I'm on, on board with that opinion there where I, it doesn't matter to me if it's the Olympics or the World Cup as long as there is some sort of best-on-best. Best. But I don't trust the NHL to make a, a good best-on-best best tournament. It's just 
uh, I have lost all faith in this league to organize anything remotely coherent. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, I just, I would prefer the Olympics, not just because it's the Olympics, but because it just seems that they have, they have it figured out more than the NHL does. Uh, and to showcase that, you know, there's the NHL canceled the World Cup. And so it's extremely disappointing that they're not going just based on the fact that if they had a World Cup in their back pocket, it wouldn't be so, it wouldn't be so bad, but they don't. And what I think that yeah. to compensate uh, next year's All Star Game is going to be international flavored. Ooh, yeah, what the heck? Ooh. Who cares? Um, it's just uh, <laughs> I, I want to see the best on best, uh, you know, the tournament, not the freaking All Star Game. And so uh, it just, yeah, I think everybody, I, I, all the fans, you know, the the players, everybody wants to to go to the Olympics to see some sort of best on best action and, and to see the league. Uh, just you know, stand firm on this. Uh, and plus, you know, we've it's it's in China, so it's it's another market opportunity in terms of expanding your, you know, just your 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 fan base for the league. It's yeah. just very very disappointing. Uh, and I I think this well I know this move is uh it's 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 a very much agreed move. Uh, both on the parts of the NHL uh, and the uh, the the IHF. And uh, it's all about money, and and, it, and you and you hate to see that happen, uh, and uh, yeah, just very very disappointing. Uh huh. But let's say let's say for a second that you did trust the NHL to have a, a World Cup of Hockey consistently. Let's say every four years, like the Olympics, kind of like uh, kind of like they had in 2016. I know, Chris, you remember where they had what they tried to do in 2016 with the the gimmick teams. You know, the under 23, the the half of Europe. Uh, that ended up actually making the finals. They tried to make the playing field pretty balanced, kind of some some parity between the teams, at least more than there would have been if they just had uh, Switzerland and Slovakia. What I want to see, though, if they do another World Cup, I want to see the top 16 hockey countries in the world, and hopefully at some point, probably in the pretty distant future, uh, expanded to the top 32 countries like they do uh, with the FIFA World Cup. Because I feel like that's the best way to, to grow the game. If you have, you know, about 16, maybe 20 countries, you know, countries like Austria, France, Slovenia, if you see them on this, this big World Cup stage, which they might not get a chance to in the Olympics, where I think they only have 12 countries play in the hockey tournament, I think that would be a great way to, to grow the game. The, but the, if the NHL could showcase all those countries, and obviously they would probably lose by a lot to the powerhouses, you know, Canada, Sweden, U.S., Russia, Finland. Um, but, I mean, that's that's what you have to do to grow. You can't really hide the fact that you only have six to maybe eight countries that are very good at hockey in the entire world by making an under-23 team. And, I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't have done the under-23 team because that was tons of fun, but I feel like it's probably better suited as a, a one-off thing than something you repeat every four years. Yeah, in terms of exposure for other countries, I think we see it uh, with the World Juniors, you know, and obviously they don't have, you know, 32 countries in the tournament, but you still see, you know, growth and you, you see that this exposure helps with countries like, you know, we talked about it uh, in the past weeks, like Germany, right? Uh, and you see yeah. more and more players come out and, and you'd love to see the exposure and you'd love to see it uh, happen on, you know, a national team level. Uh, but the problem is, as great as these ideas are, uh, you, you said at the beginning, you know, imagine the NHL is a competent league, but it's not. It's not a competent league. They don't know what they're doing. Like to imagine. Uh, yeah, but but it's definitely nice to imagine. You present some great ideas uh, in terms of growing the game, and uh, it's just yeah, it's for, this this league is uh, 
yeah, just not great. Uh, and that's, I think that's an understatement. Uh, and so, yeah, this, this whole Olympics thing, uh, you know, all these great ideas, whatever, whatever, it's just, it's very disappointing that we don't have this best on best. Uh, and I think all hockey fans are on board with that point of view because, uh, frankly, it's extremely exciting. And, uh, to see the NHL just refuse to, to exploit this, you know, it's, 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 it's sad and it's not great for the game at all. Some fans of USA Hockey have pointed out that we are probably entering the the golden era of hockey in the U.S. You know, with Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, Jack Hughes, tons of other great young players, and that they think if they don't get a chance to ever play best on best against Canada in this this era, it's it's like you know they're getting jobbed out of a, the best chance they'll ever have to win gold at a best on best tournament. And I mean, they kind of have a point. And even and as a fan of uh, Team Canada, I would want to see that. I would want to see, you know, the two of the these best, you know, has ever been in the US and Finland also. Russia's kind of on the on the upswing. They've got tons of great young talent uh, after a bit of a dry spell there for a while. So uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of great reasons of course to to be pulling to see best on best in the near future. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you're right. And in 2010, like the the U.S. program, uh, we saw they 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 made like the the in 2010, right? They almost won the whole thing. And it's just they're even better now. So it's just the rival the rivalry. I think would be uh, insane. And and it sucks that we don't get to see it. Uh, and so I think that wraps it up for a national talk, yeah, or Olympics talk. Uh, and uh, moving yeah. on, uh, we saw some news come out of. Uh, Edmonton and Connor McDavid. Uh, I think it was. I think th- th- it was like first featured on like a Sportsnet documentary, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, yeah. On a, it was like a short documentary. Okay, so it was like a little feature piece, uh, and, and it relates to Connor's uh, injury. I remember I actually watched this game uh, as it happened live after the Habs, uh, that Ryan Palin game, uh, and so uh, Connor McDavid, last game of the year. Uh, he, the, the Oilers are out. The game's pretty meaningless. And he injures his knee, and uh, I don't know. It just it just seemed like uh, it came out like the the news was saying, you know, it's like it's just a bruise, and uh, you know, you just a little rehab, and he'll be fine at the off season uh, after the off season. But it comes out in this mini documentary that this guy, uh, it was a very bad injury. Uh, I think he tore his PCL. Uh, it, it it snapped in half, and. Uh, he was looking. He he was offered two options, I think, and one of them was surgery, and the recovery was ten months. Uh, and so, like, if that would have happened, we would have seen him come back like next month. We would have gone, uh, who knows how many months without seeing this guy. And uh, it just it just puts his season now into perspective. He's having an absolutely bonkers season number wise. Uh, he looks like Connor McDavid, uh, but just you know he and apparently instead of going to surgery, he did like really intense rehab, and so. You know, it just just goes to show this guy is just insane. I mean, this guy's coming off PCL tear uh, where he didn't have surgery, and he's putting up these crazy numbers. Yeah, so uh, there's definitely a significant portion of the uh, the people who heard this that say this is definitely not something to be celebrated. The fact that he uh, took that he didn't take the recommendation of surgery and decided to do rehab instead. And I feel like the, the best way to, to sum up my reaction is that for normal people like us, this is a pretty bad lesson to, to take away from it, to, you know, ignore normal medical advice. But you have to understand that 
okay, not only is uh, Connor McDavid, you know, the most important player on the Oilers, and if he's not there, they have no chance of making the playoffs at all. But also, professional athletes, they're they're not like us. Their their bodies are built totally differently. So Connor McDavid can rehab a terrible injury like that in a few months, whereas most people in the entire planet, almost everybody, couldn't do that, and they would need the surgery. So, yeah, as I said, not a good lesson to take away, even though it was a, a good outcome for McDavid, and he seems to be basically totally healthy now. Yeah, uh, and so uh, another bit of news that came out, this one's uh, quite a bit uh, more fun, uh, or not more <laughs> fun, but just that it's kind of funnier. Uh, so uh, it came out that, what was it, Gritty, uh, I'm not, I think he got either, he was charged uh, with something or like the, I don't know. There was a report that basically uh, a dad complained that at a, at some sort of photo shoot, uh, Gritty uh, punched his kid in the head and he took a running start and punched him as hard as he could. And this was a 13 year old kid. And uh, I, I, I don't know what, what was the deal. Did he get arrested or something? I'm not quite sure. Uh, but yeah, it's just something that came out uh a bit of kind of funny news i mean what the heck i mean we've yeah. seen a lot of gritty in the news recently but uh i think this one goes over the top no yeah so basically uh this ha- allegedly happened two months ago and they waited until now to to complain or to you know yeah basically to complain and the flyer said we took these allegations seriously we did an investigation and we found absolutely nothing to support his claim so so gritty's off the hook doesn't look like he's innocent um and uh yeah so that's basically that on that story but what I, something i found really funny about it that a lot of people mentioned is that these kind of all these uh you know broadcasting whatever who were discussing the situation weren't taking it too seriously either they weren't talking as if there was somebody in the gritty costume who supposedly punched a kid in the head they were saying gritty did this that the actual mascot of themselves <laughs> Uh, that that entity, and there couldn't possibly be any random person inside the costume who lost their temper. So yeah, uh, yeah I, th- I think that was, a, that was pretty we, funny. I didn't, I didn't see I didn't see the guy's name, or or maybe it was a woman. Uh, we didn't see the person's name at all in mentioned anywhere. And so yeah, I think that so uh, yeah, a bit of funny news there. Uh, maybe not so funny for the kid, but whatever. Maybe it didn't happen. Uh, yeah. I feel like the Flyers probably try to repress the name of the person inside their mascot. If Obviously, if he had been proven guilty, I'm sure we would have found out about the name. But because that didn't happen, they wanted to make sure that the uh, the mystery kind of remained of who could possibly be in the costume. Because you never find out. I'm sure if you did some research, you could probably find out who's inside the gritty costume. But it might not be so easy. Or for any mascot, really. Because, you know kind of want to keep the illusion up that's kind of that's the big fun about mascots yeah a nice little uh pr save uh from the from the flyers yeah, yeah. all right so uh so uh, it, last thing do you have yeah do you have the uh the uh, mid-season awards yeah. you have the mid-season awards pulled up yes i do okay so and so uh, be the last yeah. thing so uh the, this is an annual thing uh where the professional hockey's writer association they award their uh Mid-season awards, where they basically just go through the major awards uh, and they uh, they give their picks, their top three, and uh, so uh, I guess we'll we'll do our own little ballots here, uh, and uh, starting with the heart. Oh, trophy. we are. Who, who knew? Oh, are we? I don't know. Uh, or or should we just discuss? Who oh, they sure, we can do our own. We, we can do our own ballots if we want. Okay, sure. Uh, sure. So let's start with the heart, heart trophy. 
You want to start? Okay. Am I going first? I can go. I can go first. Sure. Uh, my ballot would be probably McDavid number one, McKinnon number two, Eichel number three. Uh, I don't know if you agree or not. You can uh, take it away from there. Uh, sure. I, 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 well, I think McDavid, uh, there's not much else to say. Uh, it's he's the best player in the world, and uh, the Oilers would be dog shit without him. Uh, and so McDavid number one, uh, McKinnon number two, and uh, I think I'd put Panarin number three. He's been absolutely bonkers out Panarin. there. Yeah, Panarin. Wow. All right. Uh, what, what did they? What did? What was the uh, the actual ballot? What is it? Was McDavid McKinnon? Uh, what, who did they? Have, they, have... they had David Pasternak, uh, who has scored okay uh, many yeah. goals, and so uh, yeah, a, a solid ballot. Uh, no, no big snubs. Yeah, sort of. yeah, I feel like Pasternak would have probably been number four on my list too. You know, leading the NHL in goals, kind of a big deal. He's on pace to score, uh, I think, fifty nine now. And no one's gotten sixty since I think twenty twelve. Steven Stamkos. So uh, quite the season Pasternak's having. Definitely uh, not yeah. too bad for him to be on the Hart Trophy, on the Hart of Trophy course. ballot. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like this is the first so, year in a while where there isn't too much uh, debate about the Hart Trophy, at least at the halfway point. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's just the the Hart Trophy is a weird trophy in terms of uh, the criteria are not 100% clear. Uh, but it just seems uh, because the Oilers uh, are being dragged by McDavid and they're in a playoff spot, uh, I think the McDavid haters for the Hart uh, have, have nothing really to say. Uh, and so I think yeah. that's why he's uh, settled as number one. Uh, and so moving yeah. on, uh, who do you got for the Norris Trophy? Norris Trophy, I would say, uh, number one, John Carlson. Number two, Roman Yossi. Uh, number three, uh, if, if you had if you'd warned me beforehand that I'd be making my own ballots, I might have put a little more thought into it. But uh, I don't know. Maybe Victor Hedman, I'd put number three. Or maybe no, okay. maybe I'd put Hedman ahead of Yossi, actually. And those three. Those three in some order. All right. All right. Uh, I don't know. I personally, I think I'd put Yossi number one. I just think uh, that Carlson in the defensive really? zone. Yeah, I, like, and Josie's had an incredible season on, on his own. Uh, so yeah, I've got a number one. I got Carlson number two, and uh, I don't know. I, I Alex Petrangelo. I feel like I've heard his name out there. I'll put him number okay. three. And okay. uh, so uh, the PHWA has uh, Carlson, Josie Hamilton as as their uh, their Dougie Hamilton. Uh, yeah, Dougie Hamilton, right. uh, who just got injured, but uh, he's had a very fantastic season. Very unfortunate. Uh, did we mention that he got injured last week? I uh, don't know if we did. We might have. Okay, but uh, anyway, if we didn't, he's injured. Uh, very unfortunate. Yeah, for the the Canes. Oh, I think we did in our standings check. Uh, yeah. Possibly, uh, other yeah. than that, uh, we can do the Calder if you want. Calder. Uh, well, I, well, I was gonna say something else about the uh, with John Carlson. I think I saw. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think he might be on pace for like a hundred points or almost a hundred points. And I have no idea who the last defenseman was to get a hundred points. Uh, I don't know if Nicholas Lidstrom ever did it. I don't know if Ray Bork ever even did it. Maybe he, you know, it's possible he got like 130, and I look like an idiot now. Paul Coffey must have gotten 100 points at some point. So uh, yeah, John Carlson has the chance to put himself in very elite offensive company this year. And even though some people would say his playing his own end is suspect, I feel like if he can be on pace for uh, almost 100 points, I feel like that definitely more than makes up for it. Yeah, uh, sure, but uh, I just I personally think that. Roman Yossi, uh, I'm not sure his stat totals, but I'm pretty sure he's he's actually pretty close to John Carlson. Uh, underrated season for Yo, uh, for Roman there, and uh, yeah, but yeah, absolutely, John Carlson. Uh, offensively, he's been absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So uh, you were saying Calder Trophy? Yeah. 
All right. Uh, my ballot would be uh, number one, Kale McCarr. Number two, Quinn Hughes. Not very hard. Uh, number three, uh, I don't know. I might be biased, but uh, I don't really care. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Nick Suzuki because I love him so much. Yeah. Uh, I actually agree with you. Uh, three on three there. I think McCarr and Hughes oh, cool. uh, runaways. Uh, I think Suzuki has kind of slowed down recently, but he's still been fantastic. Uh, and uh, totally underrated, in my opinion, uh, in terms of league talk. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, they, they have Victor Olofsson uh, instead in the third place uh, spot. But uh, they got McCarr and right. up there. Uh, other than that, yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. yeah. I read um, that I think the d- defenseman, because of how much harder it is generally for a defenseman to transition into the NHL and make that step than it is for a forward, that defensemen have barely gotten any calder votes in the last like 30 years i think there's been like 25 forwards winning the Calder, five defensemen and five goalies something like that so the fact that kel mccarr and quinn hughes have been able to separate themselves from the pack so far is uh really uh well not only is it kind of indicative that there aren't many star rookie forwards this year like uh, maybe you know jack hughes capocaco kind of been underachieving but also of course how great uh mccarr and hughes have been i think they're 21 and 20 years old how impressive it is for both of these rookie seasons. And you haven't really seen any rookie defenseman like this since uh, maybe since Ekblad won the call there, or I don't know if even he was uh, this good offensively. So maybe someone even before that. Yeah, and even taking it further another step, uh, another fantastic you know young rookie who should maybe get some call there consideration, uh, John Marino uh, from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, uh, He's also been having a fantastic season uh as a rookie so i guess it's the year of uh the rookie defenseman because uh yeah we've got a whole crop uh, and all three of them look absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. yeah john marino too very underrated uh defensive defenseman so i think the we do vesna last is unless there are any more besides that uh well i don't think we need to do the other ones i'll just run through what the phwa said but uh let's finish yeah, off right. our balance with the vesna all right so uh, i don't watch you know Western Conference games incredibly closely, as I'm sure these writers do. But uh, from the little bit I have seen and heard, I would probably go with uh, Connor Hellebuck, number one. Ben Bishop, number two, uh, who I think have both been uh, fantastic. Hellebuck kind of having a really good bounce back year. Two years ago, he kind of kind of broke out. Last year was a down year for him. So it was, oh, maybe is he worth a contract or not? And this year with uh, that depleted Jets defense, he's kind of dragged them to uh, – I don't know if they're in a playoff spot now. They're definitely sniffing. And Ben Bishop is uh, great yet again. Number three, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe I should have thought about this a little bit more closely. I don't, even, I don't even know. Like, no worthy names are coming to mind right now. So I don't know if you want to do your ballot first. All right, sure. Uh, yeah, I've got Hellebuck uh, first. I, I, I think he's uh, his season's absolutely underrated. I don't think we've talked about him at all. Uh, it's just this guy's yeah. been underrated, the good, under the radar good. Uh, ben Bishop, uh, yeah, I agree with you on that front. Uh, he's been great. Uh, we, we were all waiting for the Ben Bishop regression, but uh, it just seems that he's kept it steady. And uh, third of all, let's see, uh, I think I'd put Tuka Rask up there. I think he's been, uh, even though he's been in a tandem, uh, I think he's been uh, he's been fantastic, no? All right, yeah, I guess. I think he's, he's injured now. I'm not sure how, uh, how long he'll be out for. But yeah, he was definitely great before he got injured. Uh, nothing... Uh, out of the ordinary for him. Also thinking maybe he hasn't doesn't have enough yet, but if Tristan Jari can keep up his high level of play from now until the end of the season, 
not saying he deserved the midseason award or anything, but perhaps he could be a finalist if he manages to, to keep it up. Yeah, uh, and rookie goaltenders, maybe Elvis, if he <laughs> keeps out this re- ridiculous oh, yeah, pace, yeah. Uh, maybe he'll get a look. Uh, it, it all depends on the second half. All right, so I'm just going to run through uh, what the PHWA had for the other uh, trophies uh, for the Selkie. Wait, what, what did they have for what did they have for the Vesna? Oh, what did sorry, the, the Vesna, what did, uh, yeah? They had Hellebuck and Bishop, and they had Darcy Kemper, uh, an interesting pick given oh. that he's been injured for a while. Uh, but he, yeah, we we've talked about how he's had an absolutely great season, uh, but it's just unfortunate that he's been injured. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, that's not a bad pick either. Okay, so, okay, so uh, you can run through the rest of them. Yeah, so the Selkie Trophy. Uh, you know, Couturier, Bergeron, and O'Reilly. Uh, it just seems like those okay. guys, especially Couturier and Bergeron, you just see them every single year at this point for the Selkie. Uh, just between mm-hmm. those guys. Uh, Lady Bing. Uh, we have McKinnon, Matthews, and O'Reilly. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about this, this whole trophy. I don't know how they 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 judge it. Uh, I mean, is it penalty minutes? I'm not too sure. But uh, okay. yeah, so basically, it's not it's it's not like it's not like a statistical award. They used to. Basically, it's like I think the it's like for gentlemanly conduct on the ice and great play, something like that. So they basically used to just give it to a great player who scored a lot, who also doesn't have that many penalty minutes. But now, uh, with the way the game has changed, tons of players really don't have that many penalty minutes and are very good. So I think the movement that's kind of picking up a lot of traction is to have the on ice officials vote for this awards because they would probably be way better judges of gentlemanly conduct than uh, writers in the press box. So I think that that should be where this award is headed in the future. And uh, I don't know, someone pointed out they should have just have Wes McCauley announce the winner on behalf of all the officials at the awards show. Uh, everybody wins. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a solid out there. Get, get Wes McCauley, number one NHL personality. Uh, so uh, <laughs> next up, we got the Jack Adams. So we have... Uh, Mike Sullivan, John Tortorella, and uh, Craig Berube. Uh, Wait, I want to talk about this one. I wanted to talk about this one. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Barry, Barry Trotz deserves the Jack Adams again, but he's not going to get it because he won it last year. So last year, he had an Islanders team that was not very good on paper, and he, with a great defensive system, dragged them to uh, second in the division and second round in the playoffs. And now it looks like he's doing the exact same thing again with the exact same team, but for some reason it's not worth the Jack Adams this year just because he won it last year. And I just think that's totally outrageous. Uh, obviously, there are other good coaches too, like the three you named. They're all having pretty good years. Uh, but Barry Trotz, in my opinion, is by far the best coach in the NHL. He proved it with uh, the Nashville Predators for a very long time, taking a team with basically no offensive talent to the playoffs on a semi-regular basis. And then he uh, won the Stanley Cup with the Washington Capitals. And now he's taking a bad Islanders team on paper for the second year in a row to the playoffs, very possibly with home ice advantage. Uh, Barry Trost, the best coach in the world. And, uh, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, uh, it's just uh, you can't win the award twice in a row uh, because uh, at this point, this Jack Adams has become, uh, wow, your team, we didn't expect your team to be good, uh, and now they are. And so here's... And so we'll we'll give it to the coaching. Uh, and so now that the Islanders they did it once, so we we come to expect it. So you can't win the trophy. And uh, as messed up as it is, that that just is the reality. 
Uh, and so uh, I don't think we'll see Barry Trotz's name on the ballot uh, this coming year. Uh, let's talk in terms of uh, coaches actually on the ballot. Uh, Mike Sullivan, he's been dealing with, it seems, a million injuries, uh, notably Sidney Crosby, oh, yeah. who's been out long term. And so uh, 100% deserved. And it's just Pittsburgh looks freaking indestruct- indestructible. Uh, they've been absolutely rolling uh, without Crosby. And now that he's returned, uh, this is a whole different monster. Uh, John Tortorella, uh, after that uh, talent exodus this offseason, after they went all in, uh, they've been kind of hovering around the playoff race. And so uh, I, I don't know if they're in a playoff spot right now. Uh, they might be. They are. And, uh, they are. Okay. So fully deserved because uh, I don't I think. Uh, I, wouldn't, you know, I don't know. What? You, you don't know if it's fully deserved? Yeah, I don't think Tortorella is such a great coach anymore. I feel like this is that playoff berth is about 90% on uh, Elvis Merzlikens. I think it's basically goaltending. And I know obviously that obviously that's going to contribute to a lot of people's decisions. But, I mean, Tortorella, I don't know. I'm still not definitely sold that he's the reason for the Blue Jackets a uh, little surprising success here as of late. Well, they've been, they've been playing well even when they had Corpusalo in net. Uh, and I don't know. They've been a relatively consistent team. They 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 haven't been crap all. You know, and they weren't. You know, they they, they haven't been Not the really. bottom dwelling team that they have in all year. And in terms of well, they were, uh, criteria, they were pretty far. Yeah. They were pretty well, far out of the playoffs for the first few months. Well, they were close enough that that one little run, uh, like a five game stretch, and they're they're in a playoff spot. Uh, yeah, but uh, in terms of uh, you know this award and the criteria. Uh, he 100% fits uh, all of the things where nobody <laughs> expected the Blue Jackets to win, and now they're winning. And uh, so he gets a nice little nod there. And uh, Craig Berube, uh, yeah, maybe this is, uh, you know, this, maybe he, he, well, like, they've had a fantastic season this year, but uh, they, was, was he even on the, was he a finalist last year? I can't remember. Uh, I know he didn't win he, it with Trust, but uh, yeah, this guy... Right, he was an interim coach. He was but, an interim coach. I don't know, just he's last uh, year. Yeah, I know, but th- did he get? I don't know. Anyways, yeah. uh, just, he's turned. He's I don't he's know turned. He he's really turned this team around uh, since he took over last year. Obviously, they won the cup, and uh, they've been rolling this year. Uh, and uh, they are they're winning the division right now. Yeah, they are. They've pulled away from Colorado, uh, and so uh, yeah, just uh, St. Louis. They don't fit the we think you'd be crap, but. Uh, look, if the, I guess if you're that good, uh, you, you get to get your spot. Um, moving on to the GM of the yeah. year, uh, Sakic, Cheka, and Armstrong. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know about this award. What, what any what are, any thoughts? Uh, this is basically the the dumbest award in the entire, probably even dumber than the Lady Bing, because a GM, as I'm sure they would all tell you. Their work spans more than just one year. And a lot of times they would just give this award to like, oh, a good team who has made a bunch of moves over the past year. And like, um, so you're never going to see them give this award to a GM who did a great job, but isn't in the playoff hunt. Like, you know, like a rebuilding team. It's always just going to go to like, you know, someone like Joe Sackick. Wow, the Avalanche are in a playoff spot. And also they happen to... They made the Kadri trade and the and the Burakovsky trade and signed Jonas Donskoy. They did a lot of they made a lot of moves and they're good. So uh, finalist for GM of the year. So uh, yeah, and I think they also they named the award after Jim Gregory as of this year. So that that's nice. But uh, besides that, yeah, uh, yeah, 
this award uh, doesn't really move the needle, needle much for anyone. Yeah, not very notable. Uh, and lastly, uh, we have the comeback player of the award. Uh, first place, William Nylander. Uh, then Anthony Duclair. And third, we have Max Pacioretty. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, uh, pretty deserved for uh, Nylander, I would say, after, you know, bad year. I've, I would probably have Duclair number one because, you know, it was much more tangible. He was basically getting scratched all the time in Columbus. Tortorella, obviously, the infamous. He doesn't know how to play hockey anymore. Now he's in All-Star this year. Pacioretty, uh, I, don't really, I don't really know. I love Max Pacioretty, but, like, just kind of having a bit of a down year in his first season with Vegas and then now being back to his normal 30-goal self. I don't know. Maybe there were some other options, better options around the league that I can't really think about, but uh, whatever. Good for Pacioretty, I guess. Yeah, I agree with you uh, on all counts there. I, I don't know. I think I think Pacioretty, he deserves a nod. He's really been, he's really bounced back. Uh, he's really made a comeback, so to speak, uh, because he really wasn't good last year at all for the Knights. And so, uh, yeah, but but Duclair definitely, uh, I think he should be the comeback player of the ward, given, you know, all those things that you mentioned. And uh, yeah, Willie Nylander, good for my fantasy team, uh, good for the Leafs this year. And so, uh, yeah, I think that wraps it up for... Uh, award stock and is there anything else you want to say before we call it a wrap on this episode um no not really uh so i guess that'll that'll be it for for this week next week is actually a a super bowl weekend where the canadians famously always play a pair of afternoon games on the saturday and sunday uh so so we'll see when we when we record possibly before the sunday game so they play washington tomorrow Buffalo on Thursday, and then the weekend they play Florida at 2 p.m., Columbus at 2 p.m. So we'll probably have uh, three games to talk about uh, for our next show. See if they can maybe push a little bit harder towards the playoff spot or uh, fall even further down the standings. Yeah, excited to, to have some Habs games to talk about next week. Uh, alrighty, we'll see. Uh, Thank you for listening. Subscribe to on iTunes, Google Play, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Sandborn's Boys today.